Petre ke Pavle tu lohuarotires, Andrea Iacove Christ is risen. Truly he is risen. This is Father Andreas Hupos. And this is Father Nectarios Carantonis. We welcome you to the Holy Apostles podcast brought to you by the Adult Religious Education Ministry here at St. Nectarios Greek Orthodox Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. You're joining us today for episode three of our series in which we'll be exploring the personalities we refer to in the church as the Holy Apostles. If you're joining us for the first time, be sure to listen to our first episode that contains some introductory information that may be helpful. And we remind our listeners that this is a podcast produced primarily for our parishioners here at St. Nicarius Church, and that Father Nicarius and I aren't experts in this field of study. We're simply presenting to our faithful some basic information about the Holy Apostles so that we can all get to know these saints of the Church a little better. Yeah, now our approach has been to provide basic historical background uh, information and context in addition to material from traditional sources. Last week, we discussed how these traditional sources can sometimes pose their own challenge to us because of some of the apparent discrepancies and fantastical inclusions. When encountering such sources, those of us living in the 21st century, a time in which we can access all kinds of information nearly instantaneously, we can be predisposed to skepticism, which can then lead to cynicism. We have to guard our hearts against this, not allowing our hearts to be hardened by our minds. As Jesus says, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. This perhaps is best exemplified by the mind and heart of the church, which has used discernment to not not include these writings as part of the scriptural canon, while at the same time not denying their beneficial role as edification for the faithful and as tributes to the men whose lives were dedicated entirely to Christ. So far on this journey, which has already reached its midpoint, we have looked at nearly half of the apostles, Andrew, Philip, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and Bartholomew, also called Nathaniel. We'll be continuing today with Matthew, who is also called Levi, and James. Since we decided to end this series with the apostles Peter and Paul, this meant that we had to separate the brothers Andrew and Peter in our first episode. Last week, we were able to present the brothers James and John, the sons of thunder, together. Uh, In order to keep such groupings as consistent as possible, today we'll be looking at Saints Matthew and James, who are known to us as sons of Alphaeus. The broader tradition of the Church connects the Apostles Matthew and James as brothers, sons of a man with the name Alphaeus. While this relationship of brotherhood is not as strongly or explicitly stated as that of Andrew and Peter, and James and John of Zebedee, Nevertheless, this is what has prevailed in the church. As for the figure of Alphaeus, nothing certain is known of him. There has been conjecture over the centuries as to his identity, even to the point of identifying him with the figure of Cleopas, whom we encounter mostly in the Passion and Resurrection narrative. But nothing seems to be conclusive on this point. Both the names Alphaeus and Cleopas are found among the greater group of apostles, referred to as the Seventy. The historian Eusebius says that he was understood to be the, a brother of Joseph the betrothed, 
which could have made him and his children kinsmen or cousins or brothers in the broader sense of Jesus. The familial relations with respect to the identity of Alphaeus, the father, are not crystal clear for us. The identity of the mother of Matthew and James is also of some significance, but we'll probably spend some time on that in our next episode concerning the apostles Judas, not Iscariot, and Simon the Zealot. Whoever Alphaeus might be in the end, we do know that the figures Matthew, who is also called Levi, and a certain James were identified as his sons. Matthew is known in the tradition of the church to be the source of the gospel according to Matthew. Of James, very little is known. What makes him more obscure is the fact that a number of Jameses appear in the, in the gospels who have some ambiguity as to their precise identity. By appearances, James has no significant role in the Gospels. He is only mentioned clearly by name in lists of the Apostles. In other words, there are not many indications of his overt activity as an Apostle of Jesus. But let's remember that to call any Apostle insignificant is bordering on blasphemy, and of course is a highly relative description. Were nothing heard of any of the Apostles of Jesus the fact that they surrounded him and were commissioned by him should be sufficient for the likes of us sinners. The tradition of the church uh, does not have much to tell us about James, who is sometimes referred to as James the Younger or James the Lesser, a distinction found in the Gospels. According to some accounts, he was given yet another name. If you've listened to our previous episodes, you'll know that one of the sources we've been turning to is the book, The Lives of the Holy Apostles, published by Holy Apostles Convent in Buena Vista, Colorado. Their entry on James is brief, and we will include a good portion of it here since there's not much else to be added, but it does still give us insight into James's reputation. The account is as follows. Having received with the other apostles the Holy Spirit, who descended upon them in the likeness of tongues of fire, James went to the Gentiles to preach Christ and guide the erring to the path of salvation. Aflame with the fire of divine zeal, he burned up the thorns of ungodliness, smashed idols to pieces, destroyed their temples, brought a great multitude of people to Christ, for which he acquired for himself a new name, the Divine Seed. For he sowed the seed of the word of God in men's hearts, planted faith in, and grew piety, for which cause he was called the divine seed. Going about many lands, he sowed the seed of heaven, gathered in the harvest of men's salvation, and ended his earthly course in the steps of Christ. Being an emulator of the sufferings of Christ, he surrendered his spirit into the hands of God while nailed to a cross in Egypt. And so ends the brief account of James, the son of Alphaeus, that we have at our disposal. One other thing we might mention here is that there is no shortage of Jameses in the New Testament. This name, James, can add another layer of confusion for English-speaking believers, because the original name is actually Yaakov in Hebrew and Yaakovos in Greek. This is typically translated as Jacob. However, due to a convoluted series of linguistic developments, Yaakov became James.
So, so much for the Apostle James, the son of Alphaeus, for now. Let's turn our gaze to his apparent brother, Matthew, also known as Levi. Now, once again, we find ourselves faced with a web of names to untangle. To try to keep it simple, Matthew, also Levi, who is named as a son of Alphaeus. When you read Matthew or Levi in the New Testament, think of the same person. In the Synoptic Gospels, now remember that means the Gospels according to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, due to their several similarities as compared to the Gospel of John. There is an account of a tax collector sitting at his booth when Jesus passes by and tells him to follow him. In the Gospels according to Mark and Luke, that man's name is Levi. In Matthew's, it is Matthew. Levi, Matthew, then invites Jesus to his home for a dinner, drawing the ire of the Pharisees, leading to a profound statement by Jesus. Let's listen to the account, this one taken from the fifth chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. And he left everything and rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others sitting at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. For those of you who have listened to the accounts of the calling of the first group of apostles, there should be something about Levi that stands out to you. Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew, and James and John of Zebedee, were either active disciples of St. John the Baptist or otherwise pious Jews doing honest work. Levi, on the other hand, was a tax collector. Tax collectors were despised. At the time Jesus walked the earth, the local territory where he lived and taught was under Roman rule and occupation. Tax collectors were Jews who exacted imperial taxes from their fellow countrymen and believers. Not only were they disliked for taking money from people to pay for the occupying forces, but they were seen as traitors. Corruption was no doubt rampant, as were lavishness and debauchery. We get a sense of that from the brief passage we just read, but also from Jesus' later encounter with Zacchaeus who spoke of having defrauded people. In the case of Levi or Matthew, Jesus' recruiting has taken a turn in an unexpected direction, and in doing so begins to undermine the expectations of a Messiah who would, in theory, have only surrounded himself with righteous, true Israelites, not a filthy tax collector. Research suggests that tax collectors would not necessarily have had the best education and therefore would have been essentially illiterate. This raises questions in some circles as to whether or not this Matthew is actually the author of the gospel bearing the same name. 
However, authorship and origin are not necessarily the same thing. It is possible that, for example, if it is true that Matthew himself would have been incapable of literary achievement, that the gospel born in his preaching and life is what would have been recorded or set down by others. Matthew's gospel is said to have been intended for the Jews. In other words, it was intended to paint a certain picture for those who would have been devout or at least attentive Jews. For example, unlike in other accounts, Jewish customs are not explained since it is assumed that the audience already knows them. Jesus is referred to as the son of David, that is, as the miracle-working Messiah. He is referred to elsewhere as son of man, who will eventually judge humanity. He is referred to as the son of God, as he reveals God in himself and is obedient to his will. It is also from Matthew's gospel that we have the famous account from Christ's ascension, which is read in the baptismal service where Jesus' disciples are sent out into the whole world to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching all that he has commanded them, with Jesus promising to be with us until the end of the age. The traditional account of Matthew's life states that it was before he left Jerusalem that the Jewish Christians, meaning those who had been Jews and came to Christ, asked for his account of the gospel to be written down. It is said that this was done about eight years after the ascension of Christ, and it was done in Aramaic. He then set off for his lot in the mission field. It is said that he preached in what was then Macedonia, Syria, Persia, Parthia, which is modern-day Turkmenistan, and Media, which is modern-day Western Iran. He would go on to make his way down to remote parts of Ethiopia. Now, Ethiopia here does not necessarily mean the same geographical region denoted by the official nation name and boundaries we know today. Ethiopian was a broad term meaning dark-skinned or literally burnt-faced and referred to the lands where the inhabitants had darker features than what was found in Northern Europe and the immediate Mediterranean basin. It is said that he encountered a tribe of cannibals and eventually converted that, converted and baptized them. In the process, he cast out demons from the possessed and afflicted, and in a format that will seem familiar to us by now, by doing this he incurred the wrath of a regional nobleman who persecuted him, falsely accused him, and attempted to not only undermine Matthew's mission, but to take his life. In the course of the Apostle Matthew's torments, which did not affect him, but rather brought harm to those who tried to burn him, the nobleman who persecuted him, whose name, by the way, was Fulvian, was converted to Christ. Matthew, however, gave up his spirit in the contest. Having sought baptism from the local bishop, Platon, Fulvian became a Christian and took the name Matthew in honor of the, of the Apostle whom he had tortured and killed. The Apostle Matthew appeared to Bishop Platon in a vision and told him he would soon die, and to make the converted Prince Fulvian, now Matthew, his successor. And this indeed happened. The gospel went on to be preached to many in that region for years to come. Relics of St. Matthew the Apostle and Evangelist 
are housed now at the Roman Catholic Cathedral in Salerno, Italy. Uh, so for those of you who are giving a listen to this episode, we thank you once again for joining us. Uh, but I want to give special thanks to Father Nectarios to indicate to you how dedicated Father Nectarios is to this project we're doing. Uh, he is, we're recording from afar. So if our audio quality is a little different than what you've heard in the last couple of episodes, it's because Father Nectarios is on vacation <laughs> and is so dedicated to this project that he has uh, graciously uh, deigned for us to record another episode. <laughs> yeah. So this is uh, this is a great blessing, Father. We're we're very grateful that you you want to do this so oh. badly that we can, so we can meet our uh, proposed <laughs> deadlines. No, no, it's 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 my pleasure. Just so so people have an idea, uh, my family and I are currently uh, on the east on the coast of North Carolina. We're we're near Wilmington, uh, and of course, Father is at his home uh, near the church. Uh, but we hope that uh, this reaches everyone. You know, um, we we talked about in our first episode the Great Commission of making disciples of all nations and. You know, if we didn't record, you know, now I'm going to be gone for, for two weeks. Now I'm letting all of our listeners know how long I'm on vacation. Uh, if we didn't record, you know, how could we, uh, well, how could we be following our Lord's command by not disseminating what we have here, what we know here about uh, the holy apostles? Uh, so, you know, we're doing our priestly duty here. And I don't see it as a burden or uh, anything like that. So thank God. Thank God, cool. Father. God bless you, Father. Well, one of the things that I that stood out to me is, um, you know, in, in preparation for this episode, uh, well, is uh, with with the figure of James, and um, we we've talked already, I think, in, in in each episode now, including this one, about how uh, obscure some of these identities can be because of the different names that we encounter, whether certain people have multiple names, whether they're given a different name, whether a certain evangelist records the names in different versions, or in the case of someone like James, uh, our, our James this evening, let's call him James the Lesser, um, that there are so many Jameses that we encounter in, in the New Testament Testament literature. And then, you know, there was that point that we brought up about how even, even the name James can be problematic for us in English because it's a rendering of Iakovos, you know, and how do you get from Iakovos to James? And there's, you can look it up online if you want it. You'll find how, how convoluted it can be. You know, that uh, Iakov, Iakovos, uh, Jacob, uh, Giacomo, <laughs> you know, um, Santiago, like these are all from the same name, from from Yaakov, and uh, and and uh, it's really something. So this this just it adds another layer of obscurity um, uh, on this this whole topic, and it makes uh, untwining some of these strands to try to get a clearer picture uh, even more difficult. 
and we did talk about this to some degree in the last episode about how there is some sort of comfort in this. And if we look at the ancient sources, the historical historical sources that were trying to compile these lists and identify these personalities from early on, to know that even they struggled with this and came up with different um, conclusions, uh, again, it brings a certain level of comfort to us all these centuries later. I think the particular challenge that we have, Father, and we indicated it uh, earlier in the podcast, was that because now you and I, you know, we're sitting here, you're on the coast of Carolina, I'm in Charlotte, we're doing this instantaneous communication. Um, you know, we happen to be, for those of you who are listening, since this is a podcast, we're looking at each other over Zoom, uh, you know, and and we have instant access to all kinds of information. Um, it gives us a sense of superiority, a sense of control over information and, and knowledge, which, as we've said before, is not the same as wisdom. It's not the same as understanding. Um, it, we can kind of harden our hearts uh, to to these um, discrepancies and make us doubt and lead us in a direction of doubt. And uh, you know, when we when we talk about Thomas, of course, that will come up as a topic, but. Um, I don't know, this was just uh, it kind of reinforced again this this problem, let's call it, of um, identification, and we're going to encounter it in the next episode, and probably for all of them in this series. Yeah, spe- I mean, speaking of identification, Father, since you so nicely put it that way, um, for our listeners' sake, those who have had the blessing of experiencing. Um, the liturgy of St. James. Why don't I pose the question? Is this the James we're talking about? Is this the St. James liturgy that we talk about, that we hear about? Is this the James who it is attributed to, uh, as far as we know? Uh, Well, most sources, Father, would say no. Um, There are some, however, that would equate this James with the James that is referred to as the brother of the Lord or the brother of God or Adolfo Theos, um, who is the first bishop of Jerusalem, who is the author of the epistle of James and uh, for whom this liturgy that you're referring to is taken the same thought. As far as we know, it doesn't appear to be this James. But again, that's a great example of all the Jameses, right? And how, how their, how their various, uh, names have have popped up at different places in the life of the church and so that question might come up oh well is this the james of the liturgy of saint james is this the james of the letter of james um is this the james the brother of john oh wait no we learned last week that's the son of zebedee this is the son of altaius um well father that's what that's what makes the church so beautiful though is you know the the cult of saints as we call it or you know, the groups of saints and the all of the multitude of saints that we have, you know, you and I, when we celebrate the liturgy on weekdays sometimes, and uh, we celebrate on a day, on a feast day, that is a saint, perhaps like James with, you know, other figures that have the same name or, you know, saints that came later who are named after the sort of the originals, um, and, you know, we, we celebrate the liturgy and for the commemoration of these saints. 
And we go out to speak to the people and say, many years. And we say, like, if you celebrate today, like, is today your James? Is today, like, we had, you know, for example, we had uh, last Sunday was the Sunday of the Samaritan woman, um, Fotini. And we have a Fotini in our community. And, you know, she came up for Antidoro and I kind of asked her, I said, do you celebrate today or do you celebrate, you know, um, on January 6th with uh, Theophany? And she kind of smiled and just said, I celebrate all the time. And it was a great way of, <laughs> of responding to that question from her priest. But, sure. you know, it's it's uh, we have this beauty in the church where, you know, every time someone is baptized, speaking of, you know, baptism, because we talked about how Matthew's gospel reading is that of the baptismal service. Um, every time someone is baptized with a saint's name, they then begin this life of a journey towards sainthood themselves. Um, and of course, our journey towards sainthood starts from our birth, but um, what we go through to get there and once we're baptized is really that initiation of what could be a future saint. You know, if we baptize someone, for example, James, you know, it could be the new St. James. It could be, you know, and that's the hope of the church. And that's the hope of probably every priest out there is that someone who they baptize or most of the people who they baptize will become a saint. Or all. All, yes. All would be great. <laughs> um, you know, and, and that point that you're, that you're, you're making there, Father, is uh, we, we saw that in... Um, with respect to the apostle Matthew, and in the, in this uh, account of his life, where he kind of goes into uh, what what we have to assume is Africa, it has to be some some place in Africa. I mean, it says Ethiopia, but what does that mean in, in, in history? That's described different regions, um, but it's sort of this. You read it through today's. Um, the lens of today and it's again yeah, it has this these sort of and I, I don't i don't say this to be um impious but it has these sort of fantastical elements of of uh cannibals and uh saint matthew has a vision where jesus hands him a, a stick of wood and says plant this and he goes and plants it and it immediately springs into a full-grown tree and water gushes out from the bottom of this tree and he baptizes all the cannibals in this uh, clear, pure water that has uh, come out of this miraculous tree that was handed to him by Christ in a vision. And this is this is like overload for us today mm -hmm. to read these things, you know, and, and you and you read about how he's persecuted and how he's hunted down. And then he's um, he's put through these horrible tortures in an attempt to kill him. And in, and in the process of this happening, uh, every every attack on him is not just thwarted, but it it turns back on those who are perpetrating it. And so it's this whole uh, just amazing scene and series of scenes. Now we might be tempted to say like, oh, okay, this is, there's no way this is real. There's no way this is even like, I'm, I might even be offended by reading this. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Speaking as we might through today's thinking, but then you get to the end of that story. And what's the point? Point is that those who are persecuting Matthew in particular, this um, this uh, prince, uh, uh, I lost his name here. What is it again? Uh, Fulvian um, sees this and ends up 
you know, he's, he's being sort of afflicted by these tortures he's trying to inflict on Matthew and then calls on Matthew to call these things off. Matthew the Apostle dies. And in, in the process of seeing all this, um, Fulvian um, recognizes the errors of his ways and wants to become a Christian and is baptized and then takes the name Matthew, right, to honor the Apostle. Yeah. And then goes on to become uh, a, a presbyter and a bishop in the church, and and becomes a missionary himself. Right. So it, it, these these lives of the saints, in the case of Saint Matthew, you know, they they might be told in a way that for us may even be intellectually sort of offensive, um, but but they, they 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 have a greater point that Matthew went out into the world and made disciples of all nations, in this case, the least likely cannibal, you know, cannibals in the middle of the Ethiopian, the mysterious Ethiopian uh, hinterland. Um, and he ends up baptizing these nations uh, and his persecutors are converted and then go on to take his own name in honor of him and of Christ, of course, who sent him. So I think, you know, that, that really sp speaks in a powerful way. Mm -hmm. Uh, ultimately to to the point you were just making yeah i mean that that's the beauty of of matthew too is his life and and all those things that you were just talking about is really um really reflects the moment after he was called and he drops everything and he follows christ and then there's these, there are these, as we read, there are these Pharisees and, and other tax collectors at the table saying, why do you drink, why, you, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Christ says that ever, ever famous line that we should all keep fresh in our mind all the time. Those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's huge. And that's exactly what Matthew does. He goes and like you said, he uh, finds the least likely people, the people who are, who Christ would be calling sick or sinners, basically. And he brings them to Christ. And, and that's the power of the Holy Spirit, Father. I mean, that's, you know, what Matthew, what all of the apostles did following Pentecost. And all of the miracles and, and all of the people that they brought to Christ were through the Holy Spirit. And... You know, he's, of course, no exception. But that's that really speaks to me, too, is, is how powerful it is. You know, we, we say that God can do anything, and he basically endows the apostles with the Holy Spirit and with this power. You know, Christ, when the apostles go out, Christ has ascended. Um, he's no longer with them on earth. But basically, they're continuing what he did to them. Um, by saying, follow me. And they're doing it in different ways, of course, and in different places. And uh, you can only imagine, like what you said, some of the terrors that they saw and some of the things. And of course, the things they experienced in their martyrdom. Um, but it's just like, you see how, how powerful the Holy Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit can truly change someone's heart no matter who they are. Yeah, uh, all right. That's true, Father. And, I, and again, I think that's 
that's kind of the hidden beauty in these the lives of these apostles that we're encountering that, that again you know may may brush may rub us the wrong way with our postmodern um post-truth as archbishop the former archbishop demetrius would say sensibilities um and then we mistake fact for truth right it's like our iconography our iconography is not um realistic but as it's said in some places it's not realistic it's dogmatic so in other words our iconography isn't interested in you know how the light you know the light curves around the the, the nuances of the the forehead uh and how the hair falls down you know over that forehead and the shadows and this and that like we see in 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 what we might call generally speaking western art right this realism but rather rather dogmatic approach to to art that portrays things in a way that's that's not uh, what we would consider photorealistic but in a way that that brings out the dogma of of the church in that individual and that's kind of what these these lives of these apostles does it's 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 portrayed in a way that may not seem totally uh true to life in the way that we've come to expect it and yet still um portrays and communicates a dogmatic truth um and, and one of the things that was striking to me about matthew was this this shifting point right we saw andrew and philip and of course peter but we'll, we haven't We'll, we're saving him towards for the end. But Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, James, and John, the sons of Zebedee, they were all willing followers of Christ. They were they were basically primed in a way, ready to go. Remember, we said Andrew was a disciple of St. John the Baptist. Uh, it's possible that Philip was, uh, maybe even Nathaniel. But you know, they, they were all sort of primed, and they were pious, and they did good and honest work. Uh, and then here he comes with them across the path of this Matthew, who's the complete opposite. He's, he is a Jew, but he's uh, a traitor, right? He's, he's uh, milking his fellow, fellow citizens, the people of Israel, and, and, and profiting off of their loss, and also humiliating them as, as a traitor. And yet this is the next disciple that Christ calls. And, and there's a there's a great message there. And of course, as you repeated, it comes through in what he tells the Pharisees who are criticizing him and his disciples at that banquet. Um, and, and, and that's one of those moments in the Holy Gospel that that shows us, wow, wow wait a second, there's more than meets the eye going on here. There's, there's something more to this person, Jesus, um, than what we're expecting. I mean, when we think about what what Jesus, what Christ does in the Gospels with, uh, in regard to calling the apostles and who he picks, and not even just the apostles, actually, who he interacts with. Let's just say that because even, you know, like I keep referring back to last Sunday, the Sunday of the Samaritan woman, that was this mm-hmm. moment that wasn't supposed to happen as far as um, social classes go and and culture and things like that. You know, to be conversing, first of all, with a woman uh, at that time, and second of all, with a woman who was not a Jew, as a, as a Jew. Um, and so, you know, Christ chooses these people and, and 
really wants to turn everything on, turn everything upside down. And, you know, he does that with his entire mission on earth, with his, his passion and crucifixion and resurrection, you know, trampling death by death is completely, we, we can't even fathom that. We can't even understand that as mortals because we, we think, or we thought before that, that death was the end and we didn't know anything else and that we couldn't be saved by anything else until God saved us. Yeah. And you know, it's, what's interesting too is um, using that, but then going back to what, what I was just saying about how those earlier apostles that um, and disciples that we, we already talked about, they were sort of primed, right? Or let's simplify and just say that they were kind of, primed and ready for this, the Messiah to, to come and call them. And then here comes, uh, you know, here's Matthew, right? Well, so you have an Andrew who was a disciple of St. John the Baptist. And what was St. John the Baptist preaching? Repent, right? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's baptizing for people for forgiveness of sins. Uh, he's, um, he, you know, he's, he's challenging the, the religious authorities who are hypocrites. Um, and so they're already hearing this message of repentance, 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 right? And then they, they're invited by Christ. They go along their way. They come across now this Matthew and, and Jesus says, follow, come follow me. Matthew drops everything, follows him, throws a party for him at his house and gets blasted by these Pharisees um, because of it. And, uh, and then Jesus says, you know, I, again, I, I didn't come for, to heal, um, for the, for the righteous, it, you know, but to bring, uh, a repentance for sinners. And, and again, this message of repentance, uh, is, 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 um, it's so powerful here. And it's almost like a, it's coming out of the wilderness, right? John, John is this figure in the wilderness to whom people go to see and they expect to kind of see this strange figure who's saying things that are a little different than what they're hearing in the cities. Now here comes Jesus into the city, into the world with this message of repentance. And it, it, it starts to throw, throw people off a little bit. Um, but this is, this is the central, I mean, this is the first word of Jesus and his public ministry ministry is to repent. And, and this is what we're all called to. And, um, and, and that's ultimately what brings about this change, of course, by God's grace in, in our life. And that change that you were referring to father with the Holy spirit, uh, working, uh, with us, you know, Jesus, you said it earlier, he ascended, he's no longer on earth with his disciples, but what does he say to them? I am with you to the, to the close of the age. So we have him with us and, and if Jesus is with us and if we are his apostles and we're taking his message and with that message, we're bringing him. Well, what is the, what is the fundamental and principal message that Christ brings? It's repent. And, um, and, and the story of Matthew in particular that we encounter today really highlights that in a powerful way. We hope you've enjoyed this look at the Apostles Matthew and James, the sons of Alphaeus, and will join us next week for our next installment of our series, The Holy Apostles.
Since we won't be saying it after this week, we're signing off with the joyful proclamation that Christ is risen. Truly he's risen. If you enjoyed this episode of the Holy Apostles podcast series, please consider subscribing for future episodes.